You are listening to the IoT for All Media Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IoT for All podcast on the IoT for All Media Network. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, one of the co-creators of IoT for All. Now, before we jump into this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join our newsletter at iotforall.com slash newsletter to catch all the newest episodes as soon as they come out. Before we get started, does your business waste hours searching for assets like equipment or vehicles and pay full-time employees just to manually enter location and status data? You can get real-time location and status updates for assets indoors and outdoors at the lowest cost possible with Leverage's end-to-end IoT solutions. To learn more, go to iotchangeseverything.com. That's iotchangeseverything.com. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the IoT for All podcast. Welcome, Ken, to the IoT for All podcast. Thanks for being here this week. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm excited to have this conversation. Why don't we start off by talking a little bit more about you just individually so our audience has some more context and um, give a quick background to yourself, kind of you know how you got into this space and anything you think would be relevant. Sure. I'm kind of old, so I'm in my early 50s. Uh, <laughs> but when I graduated college, I was an engineer. I went to Stanford um, and I got a job in Silicon Valley. Uh, focused on, they were really the pioneer in Internet of Things. I would okay, say yeah. if you had to name a company that was the first, the company was called Echelon, E-C-H-E-L-O-N. Mm-hmm. It was founded by one of the founders of Apple, Mike Markula, uh, and one of the founders of a company called Rome, where the O is for Ken Oshman. Mm. They were really, they, their goal for Echelon was to be the chip in everything else except for computers. They're like Intel can have the computers okay. and will be in light switches and air conditioning systems and gotcha. everything else can be smart. And I love the company um, after a year being there and just falling in love with the benefits a smart technology could bring. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up leaving to bring smart technology to the RFID industry. Okay. So back then, tags were very cheap, um, and but they were always more expensive than a barcode. So mm-hmm. it was a really uh, tough business case. And uh, people always said, well, if it just uh, was more volume, it would cost less. But uh, because it doesn't cost less, there's not a lot of volume. So it was a chicken and egg problem. And what I decided was, let's just make the RFID tag smart by putting intelligence into the tag to make decisions on its own to bring real benefits to the point where you could charge and we did two thousand dollars a tag um (laughs) and it's crazy but it provided many thousands of dollars in benefits um every month so it was worth it because um our customers were not just tracking their assets but they were making sure that they were utilized efficiently and safely. So we were basically, our tags were on, by the time I left the first company I started that was based on this Echelon technology, um, we were on about 500,000 high value assets for half the Fortune 500. And uh, it was a public company um, called ID Systems. And we grew from an idea to make RFID tags smart Mm-hmm. to um, really using that intelligence to make uh, businesses safer and more efficient. Um, but then, unfortunately, due to a personal issue, I had to leave my uh, first baby to tend to uh, my second one who needed me, uh, who's doing much better now. But 
as a result, I uh, was no longer at ID Systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but about six months thereafter, my niece's dog got out of their invisible fence mm. and was run over by a car. Oh, wow. And it was really traumatizing. Everyone was, you know, my kids hadn't experienced uh, death yet. And they loved uh, their dog. And same with my nieces. And it was really just like a tragedy. But out of that tragedy, I was thinking to myself, this is a problem I could fix. Because, you know, I knew for Avis, for example, they wanted to know what space number the cars were parked in uh, to optimize their efficiency. So I knew GPS was now accurate enough to literally replace the wire that's been around for in-ground fences in the dog industry for 25 years. Um, you know, that's just the way it's done. So uh, for people who aren't familiar with the technology, invisible fences are a cost-effective way to keep your dog safe um, mm-hmm. and not running into the street. So people. Right. Uh, Used to put in a well, what happens is you get a dog, yep, and then you say, Huh, this dog wants to go out, wants to go out outside, and then you say, Well, wait a minute, if I let them out, they're going to run away. So, the problem is when you your dog is either inside or when they're outside, they're on a leash. So, people might want to fence in their yards, which uh, when I bought my house, that was the first thing I wanted to do for my dog. Um, it was extremely expensive. This was eight and a half years ago. I thought a fence would be pretty inexpensive, but it turned out right. to be, I think, <laughs> they're, $20,000. They're yeah. My like, parents did the same thing. Yeah, they did the same thing. Instead <laughs> of doing an electric fence, they did a backyard fence, and it's not any cheaper. <laughs> we couldn't believe it. And so we ended up getting an invisible fence. So I am you know, had the invisible fence. My dog was trained on it eight and a half years ago, and I knew about all the problems that it had. Like, wire getting cut all the time. Couldn't take my dog with me. Like my brother, uh, who I started this company with, um, he, uh, always the smarter and better looking brother, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> in any event, he, um, lived in town. So I would want to bring my dog with me to his house and let him play with their dog. But my invisible fence wasn't compatible with their invisible fence. Right. So, um, I had to have my dog on the leash and she would just fight and bark and want to get off and play with my brother's dog. And I couldn't let her. And so it got to the point where I wouldn't even bring her anymore, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But, uh, you know, we, it was, she, be, she wanted to play and who can blame her? So at that very moment, I was like, wow, we can really, you know, change this industry. It's kind of based on some antiquated technology. Um, and as a result, it's very expensive. So, right. you know, like with the, it's an amazing business, Ring, obviously. But sure. Like in sure. the case of Ring, you're convincing someone to buy a $100 doorbell where most people, the doorbell's $10. So, you know, there's <laughs> some, it's more than normal. Sure. In this case, the invisible fence is two to $3,000. So paying mm-hmm. $9.99 or $7.99 right now because we have uh, a sale, you know, but to get it out there um, is nothing. So it's less money. Sets up instantly um, and keeps your dog safe, which is the most important thing about it. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and kind of just jump in a little bit more to the product itself, kind of what the offering is. Obviously, you've you've alluded to kind of the features and kind of how it works at a high level and what it's in, you know can replace uh, that is out there now. 
But just talk a little bit more about um, just kind of the general, the product itself, kind of what it does, the purpose of it, and um, you know what you've kind of learned so far from from you know, having it out in the market. Great. Well, first of all, I know there's a podcast, so you can't see uh, what it looks like, <laughs> but I'm putting it up here for for you to be able to see. But basically, in many respects, it's like an iPhone for dogs or a smartphone for dogs because okay. it has built into it the ability to communicate to the dog. So we have a speaker in here mm-hmm. that outputs various uh, sounds. Um, according to Caesar Milan, who I haven't even mentioned him yet, but he's been our partner for the last three years, helping us wow. understand how dogs think and will respond to sounds and vibrations mm-hmm. and static if necessary to yep. keep them safe. All of that, we um, have taken that wisdom that he brings to the table and built it into the halo collar. But the point is okay. that you have a speaker here so you can uh, have sounds. So from me, when my dog nears the edge of the fence, it beeps the same thing okay. the uh, old you know, wired fence used to do. Sure. So it sure. just goes beep, 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 beep. Gotcha. And she knows what that means. And that means beep means fence. And what's amazing about it, and she learned it eight and a half years ago, is if I take her to other places that she doesn't even know, and I let her off and she hears that beep, she knows what it means. She just yeah, stops. Yeah, that's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. The first day she did that, I literally was jumping by the way. I mean, I knew it was supposed to work, but I was like, that's right. sick. It really works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so there's a speaker to communicate with the dog. There's vibration, which, okay. again, will help get the dog's attention, which you can custom configure. We also have dog whistles built in, so you couldn't even okay. hear it, but the, uh, the dogs can hear it. Okay. Um, we have Caesar's famous sound built mm-hmm. in, um, <laughs> and then we have static. Um, and to some people, that's kind of controversial, but uh, it really shouldn't be because hmm. it's Why like anything. It's how it's used. So, Why is static controversial, by the way? Um, many people equate static with shock and oh, okay by the way, I okay i got gotcha. you yes uh that's a big problem because and to be honest that's how the invisible fence trained my dog originally which was sure it's through pain like mm-hmm. you don't want to cross this fence if you hear right, that beat, right, that right, means right. you're ab- about to get shot and that's how my dog learned it and that's not how we do it right not at all right. caesar doesn't believe in that Yes. So it's really, you're training your dog. Beep means fence. Yes. And this is something that Caesar came up with as well that no one has and no one had ever thought of. But when you put Caesar in a room and say, what could this do? This is what he came up with. Whistle means come back. Okay. And it's two basic things. But what's amazing about the whistle, and I use this every day with my dog, is now um, I can take her on a hike or a leash and let her um, run. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm walking, and by the way, in my town, you're supposed to have your dog on a leash, but sure. um, I will walk her off leash. And then if there's people coming the other direction with a few dogs on a leash, pulling mm-hmm. and yanking their neck, I hit the whistle button on my phone. It's like a mm-hmm. video game. She runs right back to me every wow. time. Yeah, And what's crazy is she used to not listen. I would call her name like Reese's and she's smart. Like I always thought she was like the smartest dog, but she maybe listened like 20% of the time when I call <laughs> her selective name. hearing. A lot of dogs do. 
<laughs> right. Well, I asked Caesar why. It was very interesting. I said, Caesar, why do they not listen when you call their name? He said, well, Ken, they, you use uh, Reese's name for so many different reasons. So mm-hmm. they, they don't understand why you're calling their name or that you mean you want them to give you their attention because right. that's not the command for that or the, you know, the feedback. For sure. That. Sure. So you just, you might say, Oh, Reese's you're so cute while you're petting her, but that's, so they don't understand that. That's mm-hmm. why what you, if you follow Caesar's training, the best way I could explain it is I also happen to have the ring doorbell. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time she hears that sound, she barks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our dog, is, our dog is the same thing. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. not, she could be eating a steak dinner, but she's barking yep. because she nope. thinks someone's at the door. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> if you follow this process for 21 days, they're going to know it the same way your dog knows ring means someone's at the door because mm-hmm. you repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat Agre- it. Agreed. And now, you know, my dog gets it. Beep means fence, whistle means come back. And when I walk past those people, they were like, what? I don't understand what just happened. I said, yeah, she's on a wireless leash. And they were amazed. And then it's, you could just keep walking. Then you let her explore, explore. If a car's coming, mm-hmm. you hit the whistle, she comes right back. I mean, it is really a cool way to give your dog the ability to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of be off leash. But I don't know how I got off the product, but I'm sorry about yeah. that. No, you're fine. So we go back to that. So it has all those different methods of co- uh, communicating with them. Okay, which gotcha. You can use in different ways, by the way. The fence, which is the fundamental thing, that's feedback the dog will get, your dog will get, if they wander beyond what you define on your phone. We have like a Google map view of yep. your house or the beach or a park. And you basically just draw the fence on your phone. Mm-hmm. That gets downloaded because remember I said it's like an iPhone. This has inside of it Bluetooth, mm-hmm. cellular, okay, Wi-Fi, different methods of communicating like static and vibrate sure, sure. and everything else. Um, and also sound. So it's rugged enclosure. I mean, it really yep. has almost everything you would have in your iPhone. Uh, but the point is it has the memory on here. You, it stores those fences. Mm-hmm. And um, you can then let your dog off leash in a park or I have people who use it, uh, who've told me they use it at work. Sure. Um, I have people who told me they uh, obviously have used it at the beach and at parks. Yep. Yep. Um, really anywhere. Um, and, you know, the dogs that are trained fully, um, beep means fence and whistle means come back. You really can take advantage of it because even if you set up an area in a public space and someone's coming, you just hit that whistle button um, right. and they will really just come back. So that's that's basically the uh, aside from the microphone part, the the geofencing component of of the tool that is seems to be. And, and when we had um, so we actually had one of these sent to us to play with and try out and a friend of mine used it on her um, her, her her French bulldog. It's a puppy. Um, well, puppy ish, but, um, she goes to a, uh, she has horses. So she goes to a horse farm and it's just open all over the place, but she wanted to, she used it to build basically the geofence around certain areas where the dog could and could not go. And she said it worked flawlessly. Um, the app was very intuitive. Um, you know, obviously it came in a very sleek packaging and she just said like, it was super seamless for her to get, get it set up. 
Um, the one quite one thing she did mention, and I wanted to ask you just kind of your experience when it comes to the battery life component of this, because obviously the, the collar can only be so big and the battery then can only be so big. So what were the kind of experiences you had trying to find the a battery that would last long enough for this to be useful without it being something that, you know, only could go a couple hours? Because for her, it was, you know, every night she recharges the next day, it was at full capacity just because she didn't know what was going to happen the next day. But what was, what was the experience in the development of this product when it comes to battery life? Because that is a very real challenge companies face, regardless of, of what they're building an IoT device for. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I would say back when my brother and I were doing this for the Fortune 100 companies, we would do it on tractor trailers and they wanted like a five or 10 year battery life. But they wanted recording yeah. updates of where their trailer was every few seconds. So, exactly. You know, Just the math doesn't yeah. add up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's amazing. And it's all about trade-offs. And that is a fantastic question. And it really also depends on the application. Because for a few things are going on in right now, uh, certainly as it relates to our product and battery life. One is with the most current Internet of Things chip technology, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, U-Blox or Red Pine or, Sil- you know, Silicon Valley, it's just all the different major companies that right. are in Internet of Things chips, they're all focused on power. Mm-hmm. And there are amazingly, even with the GPS chip, there are like four levels of power that you can set your chip to uh, draw. But then it's a trade-off between that and how quickly it's going to wake up and get a GPS fix. Um, And therefore, how deeply do you put it to sleep? Um, And so for us, we wanted to have the GPS receiver on all the time. That was super critical to me uh, in the design of the product. Because as soon as you go off, um, you stop collecting data that is used to make sure that you can collect, you know, accuracy, um, information, all mm-hmm. sorts of this. When you, that you have to be outside, when you turn a cold start on a GPS receiver, you might have to be outside for at least two minutes before you start getting accurate data. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't going to fly for our customers because the dog could go right out the front door. So, you know, we had to have the receiver, on all the time, right. but there were other things that we could turn off. So, for example, the Wi-Fi and the cellular connection. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. if someone is not in the app, well, then you don't have to provide data back to the app about mm-hmm. where your dog is because why would you have to? Because they're not right. looking. No one's looking. Right, 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 right. So, um, you kind of have to think about I mean, I can't tell you how many hours of time we went through all the different use cases of when you mm-hmm. can turn which parts of your system yeah. on and off. But we happen to get kind of lucky that in this application, the standard in the industry is you take the invisible fence collar or unwired collar uh, off at night, even okay. regular invisible right. fence sure, collars. Sure, sure, sure. It makes sense. Um, so it made perfect sense that if we could have, you know, one day of battery life, A, people are used to that with their iPhones, and B, it's the same basic thing you're doing with the current invisible fence. You just, instead of just taking it off and throwing it on a desk, you're taking it off and plugging it into a charger. 
So right. we, this application, like if you tried to tell Walmart with their 50,000 trailers that you're going to have to charge the battery uh, every week uh, in the trailers, yeah. they're going to tell you that's not going to happen. Yes, so, I agree. You know, it's really, um, it's probably one of the first most important things that you need to do when you're designing an IoT product is consider mm-hmm. that power case, um, especially because what we ended up going to, at least at my former company, was solar. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of issues with that too, from the size. It yep. doesn't really, so like, we're not going to put a solar panel on the back of a dog. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, but, but your point, your point's well taken. I mean, I think it's just the, the fact that, you know, just like with any th- component of an IOT solution or product, like the connectivity has to be correct for the use case. The battery life has to be correct for the use case. And if you get any of those wrong, they influence not only the experience, but also the cost. And the cost could be a deterrent for somebody, whether it's an enterprise looking to track 50,000 trailers or an individual consumer tracking one of their dogs. Um, it just has to fit across the board, not just functionality-wise, but also to make the price point something that is is affordable. Um, and, and that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. That was definitely part. But if I was going to, and I know this was potentially one of the upcoming questions, but I'm going to uh, mention, sure, sure, if I sure. was going to think about the most complicated part of this. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, first of all, it's crazy. Uh, my bro- Again, I'll just say that my brother and I have been developing this type of technology for 25 years. So we were using all the best practices, sure. all the uh, resources that we knew, like from an antenna designing capabilities to uh, designing for rugged environments like we were doing mm-hmm. um, all we put all the expertise together from and, and Caesar Milan the dog whisperer for the dog component of it um, and put this into one thing that all had to work together seamlessly and that mm. was by far the hardest part so like sure like high level I would say that there were so many bugs, not just in what we were doing, you know, because we find all these different sure, use course, cases and different things that are going on, but in every chip that we were designing in. Sure. So, and they had bugs. And then IoT Hub, which we use, they had bugs. Mm-hmm. So everyone's got bugs. And all those bugs affect each other. And then you fi- they fix their bugs. Then you have to go back. And fix the fixes that you made to fix their bugs mm. is crazy. But you really, mm. in order to keep up with that, you have to really have state of the art kind of ability to you know, see that happening in real time mm. mm-hmm. and understanding what you're looking at and then making the ability, you know, the ability to change that. But like to give you an idea, we're on version 92. Jeez. Well, maybe not you free today <laughs> of our firmware. Wow. That's a, yeah, lot of, I, that's a lot of revisions. I will say, I mean, the hardware component to any IoT solution usually seems to be the trickiest. Um, you know, there's a lot of different components that have to go into it. They all don't come from the same place. And the sophistication of each piece is not always the same. Um, you know, the hardware still has a long way to go to be something that is seamless from an adoption standpoint, but at the same time from a cost standpoint. Because I mean, for instance, in this in this case, the dog collar can only be so big. So your form factor only can be, you know, has it has to work within these parameters, and you don't have much wiggle room because you can't put, like, for instance, this Frenchie dog who's you know ten pounds, if that, 
you can't put a massive collar on on the neck. And the same with a large dog, you can't put a small collar. So you have to have this variability that plays into the development of your product uh, while at the same time keeping the experience um, and the intended usage or use cases viable for, for what you're building for. Definitely. I mean, by the way, so many things, just this, this was designed, the Halo collar device, that you could attach it to your existing strap. Mm -hmm. But we also wanted, because we knew we were going to take it off and on um, very frequently, we wanted to make sure it had a collar that kind of like snapped yeah, on sure, and off. Sure. You hear that. Uh, yeah, I can but hear like, it. Yep. That was critical, but not really in version one. Version one was yeah, a yeah, belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. It's a prototype. It's you're starting to just trying to prove the prove the technology works. Because anybody can build a collar. It's whether you can build a smart collar like this. Right. Well, what's um, funny is, you know, the, the, the or the, okay, I never got back to the biggest challenge. It was keeping everything working together because they all have bugs. Right. But like one of the things this collar will do is if you have your app up, then obviously now it's going to start communicating. That's what I was saying earlier. But in addition, it's going to communicate in the most efficient way. So if you're near that collar, it's going to use Bluetooth because that's the lowest power and the most real time. If you're somewhere in your house and the collar is on Wi-Fi and your uh, app or your phone is on Wi-Fi, then the collar and the collar can't reach you by Bluetooth. It'll go by Wi-Fi. But then let's say you're in the backyard and you just step out of the Wi-Fi range. It'll instantly right. switch to cellular. Exactly. Yes. So the ability to kind of instantly switch onto cellular, back to Wi-Fi, to Bluetooth, and wherever you might be with your dog took a tremendous amount of time to get right. Um, and then another tricky part, this was crazy, was, you know, there's so many Bluetooth devices mm -hmm. in your house. Right. You don't even know. They're everywhere. And so what happens is when the collar comes near a beacon, which is one of the parts of the collar, uh, is that you can put a beacon like in the kitchen. Your dog can't go to the kitchen. Or by my brother puts it by the front door, so his dogs mm -hmm. don't even try to get out of the front door. Mm -hmm. uh, it has to hear the beacon the instant you come near it. So what was uh, what was happening was you know the the beacon Bluetooth receiver that was in the collar would hear the message, process it, send it into our processor, and then our processor would say, wait a minute, you don't need to talk to those headphones. That doesn't mean anything. But right, it took exactly. some cycles out of the processor to focus on the things that it needed to focus on. Um, and so what we had to do, and my my brother came up with this, is pretty amazing, which was we created a filter at the front end of the Bluetooth chip that looked at the header of the filter and changed it from an individual number, which was the scheme they already had, to more of a group basis. So you could look right. at the first, just the header, for example, um, and not bring it into the main processor to analyze. So we had to come up with that. We had to write it. We had to build it into the Bluetooth chip manufacturer's chip. But once that was done... It was flawless. It was amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's um, it's 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 always interesting to hear kind of the evolution of a product like this and kind of the struggles you went through because a lot of people out there just don't understand how complicated these devices that are then very easy for them to use were. You know how complicated it was to build. 
and the iteration cycles you went through the, you know, just, oh just the, the stress you would probably put on to your entire team, trying to build this to, to the vision that you saw, you know, having Caesar right, obviously involved. Is a, a exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a dog collar that, that allows me to set these geo fences in, you know, wherever I am, speak to the dog in some capacity through, you know, different sounds and, and stuff. It's like, oh, that should be simple, but it's not. It's it's it, it gives um, it should give people an appreciation for a lot of the devices they have that are so seamless to use from a user mm-hmm. perspective, and how much actually goes into it. And I think you know you're shedding a lot of light on just that experience for for any uh, device uh, manufacturer and consumer for consumer products. Right. I mean, by the way, we didn't even talk about it, but security is another huge element to consider. Like when we were designing the products, uh, you know, for Avis Rent a Car. They were extremely worried that people could hack into the car through the RF, yeah. uh, yep. through the cellular network, and you know turn the steering wheel or hit the brakes or cut the ignition sure. or whatever they could do through the onboard diagnostics port that we were connected into. So uh, security has always been something that we've uh, focused on, but it's not easy to build in. It requires a lot of extra overhead um in messages and things of that nature but to me it's worth it because mm-hmm. you know not as much in a dog product but i felt that very strongly that people love their dogs more than anything mm-hmm. and i don't want just because i mean i just don't want someone hacking into your dog's collar and right it's no, just, no absolutely not um, Absolutely the other not. thing is you don't want anyone stealing the collar. So, you know, if you, right. that was another thing we had to build, which is everything, all the messages are synchronized and secure. So like if someone stole your collar, we can deactivate your collar. They can actually, the person could just deactivate their collar. Um, actually, if it stays in their account, no one else can ever add it to their account. Right. So, you know, it's extremely secure in that, you know, someone can't just take it off of your dog and start using it. It's not going to mm-hmm. work. Right. Okay. That's fantastic. My, one of my next questions is actually going to be about security aspects. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you is just generally from, you know, throughout the development of this and your whole experience going all the way back to when you started in Silicon Valley, what have been some of the biggest trends you've noticed in the consumer IoT device world in the last, you know, I guess basically since you started with the product um, and, and kind of what you knew going into it? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was more in the B2B world. So I, sure. my background was, you know, 500,000 devices for, you know, Ford and Walmart and right. Toyota and Procter and Gamble and those guys. But I think what they instilled in us was they wanted perfection. I hate to say that term because perfection is the enemy of good enough or whatever is a typical saying in engineering. So finding the right balance between achieving perfection, but still doing that in a cost-effective and timely way so you can achieve the benefit that's waiting for you to do that. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Over my career, for some reason, it's been a lot of focused around people had an idea. So uh, Avis was like, we want to put a device in our car so that when we mm-hmm. know where they are and we can let our customers rent and return them anywhere and we could collect the fuel when they return. So they knew what they wanted, uh, but we had to kind of design it from them, for them from scratch. And then say, the other thing we did was kind of in the forklift world. So 
Um, if you can imagine a forklift in a, a manufacturing facility, like a Ford manufacturing plant, and that's the operators walk around with 150 keys in their pocket. Inevitably, the keys are just left in the trucks, which means that anyone could jump on them and use them at any time. And they did. And it was actually the number two cause of deaths uh, for Fortune 100 companies, second to highway accidents. And so, you know, basically, we uh, develop a device to link to a forklift to control access. So you had the same way you would use a badge to get into a building. You had to swipe your badge on uh, the vehicle. That's why it was expensive. It had Wi-Fi built in. It had, you know, location capabilities built in. It had a display so operators could do their daily checklist and make sure they were inspecting the vehicle for safety every day. But like, basically, it's always been about people had a vision of how they could use this technology to make uh, their lives better and safer. And so, you know, uh, I think that the idea is the best advice I would give is you have to have that vision and you have to see it to completion because, and you'll have a lot of doubters along the way. I went to a professor, (laughs) this is a crazy story, by the way, but right when I started this company, I decided, I don't want to name names. I'm a little concerned, but I'll do my best. (laughs) But I decided I wanted to talk to a Stanford uh, business school professor about my business plan. I'm like, I know that, you know, I went there, I knew a lot of people in the senior uh, management there, and I knew I could get myself to a business school professor. So I flew all the way out to California and I was so excited. I sent them the business plan in advance and we sat down together and he said, Ken, I don't know why you're going after dogs. You should be going after cows. <laughs> there are cows. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, have you ever heard of Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer? I'm like, we're all set yeah. up to go after dog. That's yeah, yeah, what yeah, we're yeah, good yeah. at. Right. And he goes, no, you should hire a sales force of cowboys. Cows need this. Blah, blah. I couldn't believe it. I left that meeting. I was like, oh, my God. There are a lot of them out there already. Doing the yeah. cow tracking. Oh, is that true? I was just going to <laughs> oh, say, yeah. I don't know. No, the cow, so cow tracking, cow tracking is huge. There are so many cows that you just would no idea how many cows are out there. There's, there's it's just tons of them all over the world. And in those very densely populated areas with that have cows tracking the livestock is a big deal. Um, there's a company, I believe it's out of Australia or New Zealand. I think it's called Saris tag. And they actually have a tracker for livestock. Um, and cows is one of the bigger uh, groups of livestock that's that is tracked. It's a it's a pretty fascinating thing that most people have would have no experience in and probably never learn about because it's just not really in their realm of thinking. Well, it wasn't. I was the you know the CEO of a public Internet of Things company, and <laughs> yeah. there were other ones like Calamp and Sierra Wireless and Digi sure. uh, and Orbcop, and we would all get together and talk about our businesses and our business plans. Obviously, right. we were competitors, but we were also we uh, see each other everywhere. So we had to be, we're all in the same industry. Um, and none of us really ever went after animals. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. We it's not an like easy space. We crazy amongst ourselves it's, with trailers. Yeah. Yep. But we never went after animals. Yep. So that's I think the consumer of, space is, the consumer space is, is kind of unique in certain, in certain realms for sure. Um, you know, I think that obviously, you know, this other people have tried to do this, you know, to tr- have a kind of smart dog collar in some capacity. It's just been a very mm-hmm. difficult thing to do or just pet tracking in general has not been an easy thing for companies to uh, uh, achieve. So 
the fact that you all have been able to, you know, get to the point where you have a very user friendly, effective device out into the market is is a huge deal. Um, and, you know, a lot of these companies have just weren't able to make it there. Well, it definitely has taken us a long time, many engineers. <laughs> Yep. And a lot of experience, but yep. it's amazing. We've already sold over 11,000 collars. Wow. And we sell more than 200 a day these days. Um, and we're at the pace we're on, it's going to be thousands soon, which, um, you know, as long as people continue to have these great experiences, you know, there's a hundred million dogs in the United States. So, uh, that's just the United States. So there's a huge opportunity that we have. To really make dogs safer the same way I was doing that in the forklift world. Now, by the way, every forklift either comes with the system that Michael and I designed or a direct copy that someone uh, copied our patents. Yeah. Uh, every single forklift <laughs> has it. Wow. And by That's the way, impressive. every single rental car now has our technology too. Um, mm-hmm. Either ours or again, another copy of it. But it all, uh, we were, uh, Michael and I were uh, really the, I would say the pioneers of forklift tracking and rental car tracking. Um, and now we're hoping to kind of really take it to dog safety, but also just letting a dog live a life off leash. I mean, that's really yeah, what it's about. That's, that's, that's the idea. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, I, one last question is just kind of what is the future of the kind of the company in your eyes, as far as, you know, you have the halo device, the customer collar, and, but you know, wh- where do you see this all going? Like, is it, building out a, a kind of, uh, a, you know, a, a fleet of these different kinds of devices for different kinds of animals? Is it just like upgraded versions, different functionality? Kind of where do you see this going in the next, you know, let's say year or so? That's a great question. Well, first of all, we have a roadmap of different features and functions we're going to continue to add to the Halo collar. So, you know, sharing fences and community fences and cutting off areas of the fence, um, mm-hmm. a lot of training. You know, Caesar Milan is obviously very training focused and there's a lot of training functions yep. in the app as well as yep. online in the app training. So we're going to offer a gold service uh, training capability Okay. where if you want access to some of the world's best trainers who will show you how to use the Halo collar to communicate more effectively with your mm. dog. Mm-hmm. That's going to be part of the gold service. So I hear you. You know, we've been doing some of that, but that's going to become our next big area. Just building out wow. that training service beyond okay. just the fencing. Uh, but then my favorite part, by the way, now that you have me going, is what we call <laughs> the dog park. Okay. So it's literally a part of our website now. If you go to halocollar.com/dogpark, it's you become a little mini icon. Um, and then you can talk to others. It's really a oh, place wow. for community. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and every week we we have people, every day we have people in that dog park for customer mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have a problem or you have a sure. question. Instead of having to wait on the phone or sending an email, you just go to halocollar.com slash dog park. And we have someone in there who's going to instantly video chat with you and help you solve the problem. Very cool. But beyond that, we're going to have trainers in there every week. Yep. We're going to have uh, Caesar comes in there. My brother and I do a weekly uh, presentation where we walk our new customers through the app and the basics of the product. Sure. Live uh, sure. meeting. So I think creating a community where everyone can interact is also a big piece of it mm-hmm. uh, as far as the future goes. 
Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I, I think that also ties into uh, one of the things that was going on in my head is just the general business model behind it all, which I know there's obviously a subscription piece to it, but the, the training piece is a no brainer. Um, uh, that was one of the things that, that Julia, who was the one that you was, was testing out the product, uh, mentioned is that the training that you go through, not even just the onboarding training, but just like everything that's available in there to better understand how to use the device and train your dog was, was of, of incredible value to her. Um, when this, you know, this is a new dog in her life, so it's not the dog that has tons of training and, um, the ability to be able to use a device like this and walk her through it was, you know, it was, was of incredible value to her. So I, I think it's, it's a fantastic product that you have. And, um, I'm very excited to see kind of the future of it. Great. Um, but well, that, I really appreciate it. And yeah. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. This has been great, Ken. Um, thanks again for your time and look forward to getting this out to our audience. Cause you know, we have an audience of, a large audience of, you know, IOT enthusiasts, IOT kind of ecosystem players, people who buy IOT solutions and devices. And, um, this could not be more relevant. I think it's gonna be a very exciting thing, um, for our audience. So, so I appreciate the time. Great. I appreciate your time as well. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us this week on the IoT for All podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a rating or review and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please drop us a note at ryan.iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them as a featured guest. Other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.